0: Listening to Light Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him. Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping, and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, He presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner.
1: Thanks, Wade. Have you ever wondered what your funeral will be like? Kind of a morbid way to start this sermon. And maybe it's just because I'm a pastor and I get to go to quite a few funerals um, that I have definitely wondered about this. I've thought about this quite a lot. Actually, like, you know, what will people say about me? What, how many weird, quirky things will my family point out about me? Will they, will they be honest, maybe even too honest about some of my shortcomings? Um, my wife has often wondered, will there be any pictures that don't have fish in them? Uh, Which which really bothers me. I'm like, yes, there's definitely going to be pictures that don't have fish in them. But as I start looking through my photos, I'm like, maybe she's got a point. Um, You know, I tend to like to be pretty lighthearted and joke around a lot about things. And and sometimes I wonder, will the joking get carried away at my funeral? You know, like, will it become one big joke? I don't think anybody wants that for their funeral. There's just lots of questions. Sorry, is my mic popping still? I'm just going to switch it off. So yeah, lots of questions. Lots of questions about what my funeral might be like. And here's the deal. I think everyone wants a great funeral, right? And maybe, maybe you need to know this, pretty much every funeral is nice. I don't think I've ever been to a mean funeral where they, were just, where they just bash the person who had died. So if you're worried that your funeral won't be nice, you have nothing to worry about. The vast, vast majority of funerals are nice. Somebody gets up and says something nice about the person who has died. Um, so you don't have to worry about that, but nobody wants just a nice funeral either, right? Nobody wants a funeral where you say, you know, somebody, or somebody gets, gets paid to get up and say something nice about the person who's died. Everyone wants a great funeral, a funeral where everyone is grief-stricken and telling these wonderful stories about the person who has died. Everybody wants a funeral like that. And today in our text from Acts chapter 9, Luke, who wrote obviously the Gospel of Luke and its sequel, Acts, tells us this story of a great funeral, and I've called this sermon the best funeral ever, right? This is the best funeral ever, and it's a funeral for a woman named Tabitha, and the text tells us that Tabitha is also translated Dorcas in the Greek, um, so I think we can all see right straight away why Luke decides to use her Aramaic name instead of her Greek name, because Dorcas is much less flattering than Tabitha, even though they mean the same thing. That means gazelle or antelope or small deer. It's a name to describe an animal of beauty and grace. And like I said, uh, it's such a rarity, I think, for a preacher these days to be able to preach a sermon about Tabitha with a Tabitha in the room. And so I texted Tabitha this week, and I was like, you got to be at church this week, sermons about Tabitha. And she was like, ah, I'll be there, but I'm serving in the back. And I was like, that's going to prove my point. Just like Tabitha would be doing, she's serving in the back. And so that's where she's at today. So big shout out to you, Tabitha, listening online to this sermon. This is for you as well. Um, Now, of course, the text tells us that Tabitha, she got sick and she died. And she was really dead. She wasn't like in a coma or something. People back then were not idiots, right? They knew when people had died, and they actually were much closer to the death process than we are. You know, we are, when, when one of our loved ones dies, they immediately go to the morgue or to a funeral home to be prepared there. They did it all themselves. So you can imagine, they were experienced with this. They were practiced with it. And according to Jewish customs, they washed Tabitha's body. They, would, they didn't, uh, Jewish people didn't embalm them. Um, so they would spice their body so they wouldn't start to stink. And then they would try to have the funeral very quickly, even sometimes the same day that the person would die, so that they could be buried by sundown, for sure by the Sabbath. Um, So that's what's going on here with this funeral, is Tabitha's body has been washed. She's been laid in this upper room. And I want to point out four big things about this funeral that are just stunning, four things about the best funeral ever. And as we look at it, I want you thinking about your funeral. I know that's not necessarily that much fun, but it's an important thing to think about. And so let's look at Tabitha's funeral, the best funeral ever. And the first thing we notice is the Christian community. Tabitha was an essential part of her Christian community. Notice the text says, the disciples heard that Peter was nearby. So this is Tabitha's church, the church that she belonged to. They sent two people to go to Peter to say, Peter, come, we need you. And Luke doesn't tell us what they thought Peter could do, but right in the passage just before this, Peter had healed a man who was paralyzed for eight years. Maybe Peter had done some other things, maybe even raised some other dead people, so the word had gotten around, and they, they clearly expected that Peter could do something here. Peter could do something here with this terrible situation that Tabitha has died, and that's the big idea here: is that Tabitha was so embedded in her Christian community that when she died, the only thing they could think to do was to raise her from the dead. They're like, we have no other option here. We need her back. It's just, it's just not going to do uh, having her gone. We absolutely have to have her back, and that's how you know you're really embedded in your Christian community, is if they don't start grieving, they don't start pulling out the pictures, they say, has anybody got a gift of healing around here, and see if we can raise her from the dead, because we really must have her back, and I'm just wondering today, how embedded in your Christian community are you? You know, today is Membership Sunday, and, and so it's all about belonging to this community of believers. And not just the community of believers around the globe, but to a local church where you're using your gifts, where you're embedded. That's what Tabitha was doing to such a degree that when she died, they didn't just accept it. They said, no, no, this won't work. We cannot follow Jesus as well without her. We must have her back. So we're going to pray that she's raised from the dead. I've prayed for some people to be raised from the dead, prayed over them. It wasn't for this reason. It was, it was because we were scared about where they were going. It was, it was unclear whether they were believers or not. Tabitha's exactly the opposite. They were like, no, she loved Jesus. We know where she's at, but she's got to, we're dragging her butt back here. We want her with us. We need her. And I think it's also super cool that the picture that we get of the gifts of the church community here, right? Peter's got this amazing gift of healing. Um, even raising the dead that he's given by the Holy Spirit And notice that Peter's gift is not exalted over Tabitha's gifts of hospitality, care for the poor, um, compassion. She has all these wonderful gifts, and it's almost almost the opposite. It's almost like the believers in, in Tabitha's church say, hey, Peter, we really need your gift of healing people and raising people from the dead because we need Tabitha's gifts more. Her gifts are so important to us that we cannot do without them. It's a pretty cool picture of the church and just different people using their gifts. So Christian community is the first thing that we see here that makes this a great funeral. It's a time for us to examine, like, how important am I to my Christian community? How embedded am I here? How essential am I? How how much have I made myself a fixture here that if I died, they would say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do without them? That brings us to point number two the second thing we see here in this passage is the fruit of discipleship. Notice the text says a disciple named Tabitha. Tabitha was a true disciple, a disciple of Jesus whose life was full of fruit. The text says she was full of good works and charity. And we're told specifically that Tabitha cared for widows. That's specifically one group that she cared for. And of course, if you think back to the Ruth series, we learned how vulnerable a widow was in the first century, in that time, in, in, um, in antiquity, widows were terribly vulnerable. They didn't have oftentimes an income, power, or education. So they were in extremely vulnerable positions. And um, the Bible, God through, through the scriptures is always encouraging his people to care for specific groups of people, namely the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant right? Just over and over and over again, he's saying, care for these people, look out for these people, watch out for these people. My heart is towards these people. And Tabitha took that call extremely seriously, obviously, right? So much so that all these widows show up to her funeral, and they're clutching, probably even wearing the things that she made for them. It's a beautiful picture here at her funeral. And notice the text doesn't tell us that that Tabitha is a woman of means. She we, she could have been wealthy. We don't know. But lots of commentators, F.F. Bruce being one of them, um, kind of surmised that it's probably likely that Tabitha herself was poor. She really got the position of the widow. She understood that. But also, notice she made the stuff for these widows. She didn't go out and buy it and give it to them. She actually took the time and made it. So it's likely that Tabitha wasn't giving out of her surplus but giving out of her own need, even out of her own poverty. So through her generosity, Tabitha touched so many people's lives. She leveraged all of her gifts, all of her talents, all of her resources for the people that Jesus had called her to love and serve. And friends, we don't want the good things that we do ever to be motivated by having a great funeral. Let's just get that out of the way. You won't be there, so there's no point in that right? There's no point in the kind of, yeah, I want people to remember me and legacy and those kinds of things. No, no, no. It's all focused on Jesus. The big idea here, though, is that Jesus wants each one of us to have a funeral like this because as we grow as his disciples, we should produce fruit. We should bear fruit like Tabitha did. We should grow closer to him and become more like him. And then the, the person that people are going to miss is Christ, That's who they encountered when they encountered Tabitha. They encountered the living Lord Jesus. That's who they were so desperate for. That's who ministered to them. That's who made clothes for them. That's who they were desperately going to miss. Tabitha exemplified that. Her life was full of good works as she followed Jesus, and she did these works not unto people but unto Jesus. She cared for these people as Jesus had called her to do. She actually reminds me of several other people whose funerals I got to attend this past year. The first was for Helen Muntz, Kyle Schock's grandmother. I didn't know Helen, never got to meet her, but as I sat down with the family and listened to story after story, before Helen um, was was stricken with Alzheimer's, she was just the most servant-hearted, humble, um, beautiful example of Christ-like love and servanthood. I mean, she just, time after time and after time, she would uh, give up her time to just minister to others, to just be there for others, to just serve in any way that she could. It's pretty amazing. She had lots of the fruit of discipleship, never wanting any attention to herself, always being uncomfortable with that, but always being ready to give and love and serve. The second was my wife's grandpa, Grandpa Jim Johnson. I got to do his funeral Um, over sabbatical at a little country church on the border of North Dakota and Canada, and it was a 90-plus degree day, church with no air conditioning, that Jim built himself, right? He was a rare combination of pastor and carpenter, which I'm like, how do you get both those brains? But apparently they made them like that back in the day, you know? Like, he could build the church and preach in it, and he could meet people's internal needs, their spiritual needs, dealing with sin and and, um, brokenness and all those things. And he could go over and fix their siding and and work on all kinds of things in their remodel situations and help people in a number of different ways. And we had this funeral in this little country church for Grandpa Jim. And I was thinking, man, it is hot in here. And I'm wearing my suit and I'm just sweating this one out. And I was thinking, boy, we're going to have other funerals to do because there's lots of old people in here if we don't get this thing over with. And we had an open mic time at the end. I thought, man, if this open mic time goes 20 minutes, that'll be great. It went two hours, two hours of open mic sharing about how Jim had shown up when this child of theirs had died, how Jim had taken time to walk them through this terrible situation, how Jim had come over and fixed this thing in their house, how Jim had taught them this, how to paint this way, or do this thing, or whatever it was. There's just so many different stories of how Jesus through Jim had touched their lives. Like, his life was just chock full of fruit, the fruit of discipleship. Like, Jim loved Jesus, adored Jesus, and Jesus through him had reached so many people. And Then, of course, the last person whose funeral I got to go to was this past fall for Wendell's sister Marla's. I remember being at her funeral, Wendell, and I remember just sitting there thinking, this reminds me of another funeral in the Scriptures, and it was Tabitha's. It was Tabitha's, because it wasn't just that people were sad because, oh, we just, we just miss Marlis so much. They were literally like, what are we going to do? Marlis would have probably made the food for her own funeral if she had known it was coming. Because she was always doing that kind of stuff. She was always ministering to people, always showing up with a warm meal. I mean, she was such a pillar of the community of Parker. They were like, can we have a fair this year without Marlis? How is this going to work? Who's going to make the pies? She was involved in so many things at the church. They would have much rather lost their pastor than Marlis. They were like, what are we going to do without Marlis? This is terrible. Somebody needs to raise her from the dead. She's died way too soon so much fruit of discipleship in her life. And to be a disciple of Jesus means this kind of servanthood, this kind of fruit, it's going to put you in a position where when you die, lots and lots of people are going to say, what are we going to do without them? And that's exactly what Jesus intends to do. Jesus in you will have touched so many lives, even when you don't realize it. And this is what makes for a great funeral, when there's lots and lots of fruit of discipleship. That brings us to the third point. At the best funeral ever, there should be grief. The people here are clearly grief-stricken. Grief-stricken with the loss of Tabitha. A good funeral contains real grief because the loss is so significant. Yes, there's laughter, too, at a great funeral. You remember. As you tell stories, as you remember this person, as you honor them, there's obviously laughter. That's part of what it means to be human. But the tears are real. Because this person will be sorely missed. And on top of that, at a funeral, we're getting in touch with how broken the world is, right? How broken it is because of sin. How broken our bodies are. And that the world's not the way that it should be at this moment. That death is not supposed, it's not God's plan for us. It's not supposed to happen. We're not meant to die. That's why it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around it. Right? Have, you ever, have you ever been told, like, if you're dreaming and you fall off a cliff and you actually hit the ground, that you'll actually die? Because your brain, like, can't wrap itself around its own death. You were not meant to die. That's why it seems so strange for us. God didn't build us that way. So death really sucks for Christians. Paul calls it the last enemy. As Christians, we're not supposed to fear death. Indeed, Paul says to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is better by far. But at the same time, death is no friend of ours. It's not getting us to our final home. Our final home only comes when Jesus returns, raises our bodies, and establishes his new kingdom on the new earth. That's when we'll be really home. That's what Christians have been looking forward to for 2,000 years, like we confess in the creeds. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, Right? So we're not necessarily looking forward to death. I know death can be experienced as a gift for many people who are really suffering, and I get that. But Christians do not make friends with death. So out of this place, Christians grieve and weep, even ferociously at the funerals for their loved ones. We remember that our Lord Jesus even wept at the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, knowing all the while he was going to raise him from the dead in just a few minutes. He still took time to weep. Because death is the enemy. The same is true for us now. We know how our story ends. We know that it ends in, in resurrection. But we're in the already not yet. We're in the in-between time. And therefore, we weep. Because death is not right. It reminds me of a, a guy, a Christian, that Nathan told us about in one of my seminary classes. I can't remember which one. Um, it, was, it was probably church history or death and resurrection. But there was this this guy who was famous for showing up to Christian funerals. He was a Christian. He He was always angry at the funerals. Not angry at anyone, but angry at death itself. He just had an angry demeanor, and he would go around reminding the Christians, death will not have the final word in this person's life. Death is not going to win. This will not end this way. And he was just angry, just ferociously angry. And when it came time for his own death, he told his family, Look, I just want three words on my tombstone. And it was kind of his mantra, kind of this um, defiant attitude towards death. He wanted just these three words, I will rise. I will rise. Because that's the truth, right? So grief is right at funerals for Christians. Anger is right, even a defiant attitude, because death is not going to have the final say in our story It always ends in resurrection. The best funeral ever always ends in resurrection. And that brings us to our final point, which we see here in Tabitha's story. You know, if if Tabitha's funeral ended right here with her dead, I think we would all say, that's still a great funeral. That's, That's a funeral I would love. You know, all these people weeping bitterly, grieving my loss, showing all the wonderful things that I did for them. I'd be like, yeah, I'll take it. That's awesome. That's great. But that's not the the best funeral ever. And this here is the best funeral ever. And this funeral points forward to the reality of your funeral as well if you are in Christ. Because, of course, as we read, Tabitha didn't stay dead, right? Peter shows up at the request of the church. And just like he had seen his master Jesus do in Luke chapter 8, Peter tells all the mourners to go out of the room. And then, in almost the exact same language, he uses the Aramaic language. Jesus in Luke 8 tells Jairus' daughter, Talitha kumai, which means, child, arise. Or another translation you could use is, it's time to get up, sweetie. That's, That's our Lord Jesus. And Peter knew that Jesus had done that. And here, Peter changes just one letter. Instead of Talitha kumai, he says, Tabitha kumai. Tabitha, arise. He calls her by name to come up out of death. And get this, she does. She does. She gets up. And can you just imagine the swing of emotions? Peter takes her by the hand, brings her out to the grieving mourners, And I'm just like, most of them probably came close to dying themselves of a heart attack. Like, what in the world is going on here? Just imagine the emotional swing. Like, all the sad things are coming untrue. What is happening? What an incredible day. Of course, the word of this miracle gets around, and many people come to faith in Christ because of it. You know, today's the fourth Sunday of Easter, as the lectionary has it, and that's why the lectionary includes this resurrection story in our text today, because Obviously this is part of the first fruits, right? And it's got me thinking this week that Paul calls Jesus the first fruits from the dead. But I think Tabitha's part of the first fruits as well. Like she stands in that category as well for us. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20. He says, "But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead." For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Oh, man, I love that passage. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But Jesus is the first fruits. I think Tabitha's a part of it, too. How many of you love gardening? We have a gardening church here at Life Church, right? And I, I'll confess, I'm not much of a gardener anymore. I used to, though, as a kid. I loved gardening. I loved gardening, gardening with my Opa. I thought that was his real name. That just means grandpa in, in Dutch. Um, but opa, opa was a big gardener, and uh, he taught me to garden. And I loved the first fruits. I love looking forward to especially the first fruits of our strawberry patch. Uh, my parents actually still have this big patch of June-bearing strawberries. And we would just go out there every day checking them. Are they ripe yet? We kind of pick them with a little green on them still even because it was just like we're just so anxious for the first fruits. And then you'd pick those first ones. They would never even make it inside. We just eat them right out there in the strawberry patch. And the first fruits were so, so good every time. And it wasn't just because the first fruits tasted good, but it's because of the message that they sent. And the message they sent was, there's a whole lot more where that came from. There's a whole lot more strawberries and ice cream coming. There's a whole lot more strawberries and and, uh, angel food cake. There's a whole bunch more strawberry jam coming. Lots and lots of good things are coming. And this is just a taste of it. This is just a snippet of it. Brothers and sisters, do you realize what the resurrection of Jesus means as the first fruits? It means there's a whole lot more resurrection where that came from. And Tabitha's a part of that. It means that if your faith is in Christ, your resurrection is coming too. I mean, we already see the first fruits of it in the scriptures all over. Even going back into the Old Testament, like the Holy Spirit filled Elijah, and he raises the widow's son, right? And then Jesus comes on the scene. He raises Lazarus. He raises Jairus' daughter. He raises the widow's son. And then Jesus himself, God raises from the dead on the third day. And then now, after Jesus has ascended to heaven in Acts, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles, the disciples, and still we see the first fruits springing up. Tabitha is raised. There's guarantees. It's saying there's a whole lot more resurrection coming. You can count on it. Like, that's what these, these instances have to mean. What they don't mean is that every Christian's going to be raised now before Jesus comes back right? Because obviously, Tabitha died again. Um, obviously, Jairus' daughter died again. Lazarus had to die twice. They actually almost killed him after he was raised from the dead, which I don't know about you, but I, I find that death is a pretty awful thing for most people. Like, most people die poorly. It's, it's pretty horrific. I would like to die zero times. If Jesus comes back, I'll be fine with that. One time at the most. Twice is not going to work for me. So if I go, no more, none of this prayer stuff, all right? <laughs> I just want to die one time. They all died twice, you understand. So what is the purpose of them dying twice and going through that twice? It's to tell us, look, this is the first fruits. There's a whole lot more resurrection coming. It's coming for you. You can be sure of it. Remember that famous poem from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Narnia series where C.S. Lewis, um, he has this famous poem engraved on Peter's sword. It says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. I love that because it's, it's saying, hey, all this stuff is coming when Aslan returns. But also remember, the thaw happens gradually in Narnia, right? It doesn't all happen in a one moment. There's signs. There's first fruits. Things are melting. Winter and death are losing its grip. And you understand, that's what's happening with our sister Tabitha here. Death is losing its grip on us. Do you understand that the exact same thing will happen for you? That our Lord Jesus will return. If your faith is in him, and he will call you by name, he will say, arise. And he will reach down into death, and he will pull you out. That is what's going to happen for you that is most certainly coming and maybe you're here today saying pastor Dave how do i know how can i be certain of this you know after all maybe you're saying i haven't lived the awesome life that tabitha lived like i can believe in resurrection for tabitha she lived a fantastic life as a disciple of jesus she gave herself to the christian community i haven't done that kind of a thing how can i be sure of it i love how cs lewis explains it in the in the chronicles of narnia at aslan's resurrection I'm going to read this section. It's a little bit longer of a quote, but I think this, this paints the picture. This is how God made this possible for you to have the best funeral ever. Aslan has just risen from the dead, but the girls don't know it, so they show up to the tomb, and this is what they say. Or they show up to the stone table where Aslan's body was, and they say, "'Oh, oh, oh,' cried the two girls, rushing back to the table. "'Oh, it's too bad,' sobbed Lucy. "'They might have left the body alone. "'Who's done it?' cried Susan. "'What does it mean? "'Is it more magic?' "'Yes,' said a great voice behind them. "'It is more magic.' "'They looked round, there, shining in the sunrise, "'larger than they had seen him before. "'Shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, "'stood Aslan himself. "'Oh, Aslan!' cried both the children, "'staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. "'Aren't you dead then, dear Aslan?' said Lucy. "'Not now,' said Aslan. "'You're not a... not a...?' asked Susan in a shaky voice. "'She couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost.' Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her forehead. The warmth of his breath and a rich sort of smell that seemed to hang about his hair came all over her. Do I look it, he said. Oh, you're real, you're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy, and both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would work backwards. Do you understand? Do you see, friends, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would work backwards. See, friends, Tabitha was not raised because of what she did. It wasn't because of her good works and her discipleship. She, too, like all of us, was sinful. She, too, like all of us, was a traitor, deeply lost and in need of a Savior. But her faith, her confidence was in Jesus, the one who had committed no treachery, who had laid down his life as a willing victim. And through his death, the table had cracked, and now death had started working backwards. And Tabitha was part of that first fruits, that death had started working backwards. Its grip was loosening. Death isn't gone just yet, but its grip is loosening. And one day Jesus will destroy it once and for all when we see him. And that will make your funeral the best Funeral ever. Do you understand? Each and every one of your funerals will end in resurrection. Death will not have the last word. I don't know where this message finds you today. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, and the message of resurrection and hope is reaching you for the first time. I would urge you to run to Jesus today, the one who has conquered Satan, sin, and death for you. There will be people up here to pray for you in just a moment. We'd love to get you on the path of discipleship, like Tabitha, bearing fruit having confidence in your Savior, Jesus. For the rest of us who are Christians today, first I just want to encourage you to take some time to internalize the story, right, of of Tabitha. That's what we're doing with all these spiritual biographies that we've been doing in the TMTs and even here on Sunday morning. We want you to take some time to really meditate and think on their stories. Let your spiritual grandparents, let their lives speak to you about your own discipleship, right? Tabitha's life will speak to you. Um, let it challenge you. What, What sorts of ways are you to be plugged into your Christian community? How are you to be using your gifts for the flourishing and the benefit of all those around you? Who is God calling you specifically to care for? Let Tabitha's life speak to you this week. But secondly, I want you to think on how Tabitha's resurrection will fill you with hope and confidence today. You know, many of you have lost loved ones over the past several years. Dear loved ones who have, who have been believers, will you let Tabitha's resurrection speak to you as the first fruits that there's a whole lot more resurrection where that came from? So there's hope for your loved ones. Will you let her resurrection speak to you about your own resurrection? That, that no matter when death comes for you, resurrection is soon to follow. Will you start looking to that day when your Savior arise, arrives and he calls you by name up out of death, and he says to you, arise. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this good word, this example from uh, church history of our dear sister, our great-grandmother Tabitha. Um, we ask for your help, Holy Spirit, to live out the kind of life that she lived, the kind of discipleship that she lived as she had her gaze fixed on you, out of gratitude for all that you had done for her, Jesus. She lived this life of sacrifice and giving and um, love. We pray that you would enable us to do that. We pray also today, Lord, that you would fill our lives with confidence, that we would live as a resurrection people, Um, that this wouldn't just be some sort of distant hope, but this would be the real fabric of our hope, the real foundation of our hope, that resurrection is coming so we can gamble with our lives We can risk them greatly for you, for your kingdom, because we know our death always ends in resurrection. We thank you, Jesus, for your work on our behalf. You're the risen Lord of our lives. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.